Welcome to the Reroute Safety Podcast, Episode 5. On today's episode, we talked with California Senator Josh Newman about Senate Bill 1, California's new gas tax, that will be on the ballots in November. And we also talked about Prop 69, which is coming up on the ballots in June. Senator Newman is a graduate of Yale. He then served in the Army as an officer of the 25th Infantry Division. After the military, he founded the nonprofit Armed Force to Workforce, helping other veterans find work and helping companies find veterans. But most importantly, he is a proud husband and father. Before we get into this episode, first a word from our sponsor, Road Tech Safety Services. If you're looking to rent message boards, traffic signals, radar signs, let us know. Rentals is truly our bread and butter. You simply tell us where it goes and what it says, and we'll take care of the rest. You know, as a project manager, you are a busy man or woman, and you don't have time to coordinate what guy needs to pick up what message board from what location and then help them figure out how to program the darn thing. Uh, with RoadTet, we take care of everything. Just uh, tell us where to go, what it says, and uh, we'll worry about the rest. Give us a call at 530-672-0222. That's 530 672 0222, or you can find us online at www.road-tech.com. That is R-O-A-D-T-E-C-H.com. Now, enjoy this incredible episode. Senator Newman, thank you for joining us. Certainly. Glad to be here. So, before we get into uh, SB1, I, I understand that you're a veteran and... Um, I really appreciate uh, the, the the company you started. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. Um, and and so I'm I'm a proud veteran. I, I served in the United States Army for four years after college as an artillery officer, and and that was a long time ago. I got out right before the the literally months before the first Gulf War in 1990. And uh, about six years ago, uh, I got very interested in the question about why young vets coming home were having so much trouble finding good career-oriented work, uh, especially knowing, as I do, having worked with soldiers, what, what terrific employees they make. And, and it didn't make any sense. It, it, this was at a time where the recession was finally over, where unemployment was coming down fairly rapidly across the board, but, but unemployment for, for vets was still staying materially higher than it was for their non-veteran peers. So I, I started a little nonprofit. Uh, called Armed Force to Workforce in the in the Orange County, greater L.A. area. And, and my goal was to try and find better ways to connect uh, talented vets, vets uh, who were ready to go to work, who did not suffer from service-related issues that might interfere with permanent employment, with, with local employers that, that would benefit from their talents. Uh, and, you know, the, 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 the argument is pretty obvious as to why companies should hire vets. And, and, and the irony was lots of companies already knew that. They just couldn't find vets. So my goal was to kind of uh, create a better nexus between the veteran community uh, and employers in the area. And I've, I've been proud to be able to continue doing that as a member of the state Senate. Yeah, I, I'm a veteran as well. And, you know, you can't uh, speak to any one particular veteran, but as a whole, veterans are always early. They're always hardworking. You know, they can understand a command and execute it. And just those three qualities right there put them, you know, heads above a lot of their, um, I guess, competitors for, for, for sure. that job market. 
Right. I, I mean, I, I'd say absolutely. And, and, and I'd say that, you know, two other uh, sort of really important attributes, I think, uh, veterans are impressively resourceful. Uh, and and they're really good at learning. Right? One thing that the the Department of Defense does is it's it's really good at, at uh, assessment and training. And so any any veteran who, who's learned uh, sort of you know his or her particular skills in the military is probably a great prospective employee because they're they're very good at picking up uh, critical tasks as part of a member of an organization. Yeah, absolutely. And and I tell people all the time too, um, if you really want to thank your veteran if you really want to be able to reach out to him just give him an opportunity you know uh as a veteran i'm not really looking for a handout but i you know an, an open door and opportunity is uh something that i know a lot of my my friends and stuff are eager to jump on could could not agree more and, and the thing about california uh, is it is a you know the the employment landscape in california is is diverse and and complicated so it winds up being very intimidating to a to a young person coming home from four or five years of service, and and it, you know we just really haven't done a particularly good job in, in making those connections as, as vets come home, and and the cost of living in California is, is so high that if if you don't find work early, it, it can it can uh, get really challenging. Absolutely. Well, uh, I really appreciate the work you, you you've been doing, and um, I appreciate the work that you've been doing in the transportation committee now as well as a senator um with that let's go ahead and dive into sb1 sure uh can you take us back to kind of the uh, inception of it yeah and, and so you know I, i'm always quick to point out i'm a relatively new member of the california state senate i was elected in november 2016 right so i took office in, in beginning of january 2017 and and so i joined the legislature at, at a time where it was becoming uh, increasingly clear that the failure to invest in California's transportation infrastructure uh, over the, the previous two decades uh, was was starting to become very clear. Uh, as we got into the 2017 legislative session, it became even clearer. This was uh, during a time we had a, a very heavy rainy season, and in a very short span, a you know well over 100 bridges in California washed out under heavy rains, uh, largely because of, of bad maintenance because of, of, of you know something you can only call neglect uh, and it was a neglect that came from lack of funds and, and at the same time uh, if you recall last year uh, just about now maybe April uh, the, I guess March during that same rainy season the Oroville Dam uh, which is actually the tallest earthen dam in the United States came literally within about an hour uh, of collapsing because the secondary spillway had been so poorly maintained for several years in fact decades uh, and it was starting to break down under the pressure of the water that needed to be released. And so it created a situation where well over a million people were in jeopardy, either their lives or their property. Uh, and that called into very stark relief the need to take action. Now, this was something that uh, a bunch of senators and assemblymen had been working on for you know, well over three sessions, but it came together in SB1, which is called the California Road Repair and Accountability Act, uh, and what it does is it created a, a set of special funds across four areas, kind of a, a portfolio of fees and taxes. Uh, first, there's the 12 cent a gallon gas tax. There's then a 20 cent a gallon diesel tax. Uh, there's a sliding scale increase in the cost of registering a vehicle in California. And then phased in in 2020 is, is an increase in, in fees for electric vehicles so that they're, they're paying their fair share. But in the interim, uh, we want to encourage alternative fuel vehicles. 
And, and so that's that's the package we voted on in April of 2017. Uh, and it, as you probably know, it passed by a very close vote. It takes a two-thirds vote in the legislature to raise taxes. And this wasn't something that I or I think you know any of, of us in the legislature uh, did uh, you know sort of easily or or without serious concern for working people. But there really was not an alternative when you when you looked at the need in California. Yeah, it definitely came to a headway. Um, uh, you know, we were a part of you know the washout roads, um, running equipment all over California, and <laughs> and you know I had several cousins uh, evacuated from Oroville um, when the spillway was was reaching its capacity, and um, th- th- this has been an ongoing issue too. I mean, when we, we look at the uh, the first. Uh, item that's listed for funding which is the high system and we're rate we're ranked i believe 48th in the nation for um poorest highways in the, yeah, uh, yeah that's correct i mean and and even as california now can boast being the the fifth largest economy in the world right and so you know so that's that's kind of the level of of disconnect level of need uh that our transportation systems face I think that everybody can agree that the uh, highway system is in, in dire need of rehabilitation. Um, one point of contention that I've been hearing about is the, the transit agencies. Um, there, there's some people, you know, in, in the rural communities, I lived in the Bay Area for a while, so I, I was well aware of the, uh, the need of the transit, you know, mm-hmm. agencies when you're in the inner city, but when you're out in the uh, more rural counties, really the, the the transit agency is consisted of the the bus system right and um we're putting a lot of uh investment into the transit agencies do you think it's a good investment or do you think that uh, it's something that we need to be providing to the public well I, you know so so I, I appreciate the point of view of of you know that portion of california that does not depend on mass transit um, and it's unfortunate that that you know as we've let our, the quality of our roads deteriorate, we've we've done something something similar uh, as demand for mass transit in urban areas has increased. We have we haven't kept up. So there were uh, you know kind of a cohort of legislators. I, I was not among them uh, who are from urban areas who who advocated for some level of investment in mass transit. And and the argument there was that if you can improve mass transit and increase the use, it takes some of the strain off of our roads. And you can't really argue with that. It's really just a question of balance and, and you know, where where we start. Uh, and so, you know, I appreciate, you know, there's a, there's a general, I think, apprehension among taxpayers is, you know, if somebody gives a dollar uh, of hard-earned money to the government, they want to make sure, uh, they want the assurance that uh, they'll get full value in return. And so, you know, I do appreciate that if you live in a rural area, it is not your first priority to invest in urban mass transit. But across the state, you know, we need to do both in some fashion. We just need to find the right balance. I absolutely agree. When you get people to take public transit, you know, it not only reduces the impact on the road, um, but can really help alleviate some of that congestion uh, in the roadway as well, saving people a lot of time. Uh, moving on to bridges and culverts. Um, California actually surprisingly ranks fairly well. We're we're right in the middle of the pack. Um, we're about 20% uh, deficient conditions in, mm-hmm. our, in our bridges and culverts, um, which actually ranks us fairly high for 
uh, you know, coastal state um, with with really abrasive situations in some areas. Right. Um, you know, on one hand, it's a it's a smaller amount compared to other areas, but on the other hand, we actually have been doing fairly well at, at, at maintaining the bridges. No, I think that's true. You, you have to you have to remember that it's it's a proportional question. So uh, even though the the portion, proportion may be reasonably good compared to other states, uh, the the at the raw numbers are still huge. I mean, just because mm-hmm. of the sheer uh, mass, the geography of of California, and you know, and and what that takes a particular uh, importance when you look at choke points. Uh, and so, you know, we're, we're not doing badly, but part of that is because the rest of the country is not doing particularly well either. Uh, but where you have critical bridges that suffer failure uh, or need maintenance, you know, such that they need to be shut down, uh, it creates choke points in parts of the state that, that can be really damaging to the local economy. Yeah, places like Massachusetts and New York, um, shutting down a bridge is, is completely debilitating for the whole city. Mm-hmm. You know. Looking at, at well, you know, in, in California, we we had, I, I think, kind of a uh, an illustrative issue in Monterey, and and during the rains, the the bridge near Monterey, you know, washed out completely, and, and it literally took eight months to to repair it and reopen it, and so you had a situation where people literally couldn't couldn't get eight miles between their home and their business without driving for several hours. Yeah, I suppose it's just the nature of bridges in general that they are connecting two areas that. Or otherwise not easily traversed. Next part of this is uh, actually the trade corridor enhancement mm-hmm. program, which I think is a, a, a vastly actually underestimated uh, part of this SB1 funding. Um, a third of our economy is from, you know, our ports. Right. And our our, uh, our really really our, our trade corridors. So, so I mean, to to your point, um, we are uh, fortunate in some ways in that California is a gateway for trade uh, from all over the world, particularly from Asia. And so, in the Southern California area, you've got a you've got a number of ports uh, that handle a, just an intense amount of freight coming into and also going out of uh, our economy. And and so, as that has grown, the impact on on the roads plus uh, congestion uh, has been considerable. And we've reached a point now where we really have to make uh, fairly large and strategic investments to try and separate goods movement from passenger traffic uh, and ensure that that goods can move uh, smartly and efficiently without uh, creating huge bottlenecks in passenger transportation. I actually represent the 29th Senate District, uh, and it's in northern Orange County, uh, southeastern L.A. County, and a little slice of San Bernardino. And I have kind of the, the weird distinction of having what uh, Caltrans assesses as literally the worst intersection in the entire state, which is uh, where the 57 and 60 freeways come together. And much of that congestion is attributable to trade. And, and you know, we're, on any given day, uh, you can see a line of trucks of, of containerized shipping uh, to the horizon, basically unbroken uh, as goods move, and, and sometimes that creates huge bottlenecks. In fact, sometimes you can't even get to your exit because you can't get through those trucks. Well, that actually brings us to the next four different items that all kind of uh, interconnect together um, for local streets and roads, uh, solutions for congested corridors, uh, matching funds for local agencies and local planning mm-hmm. grants. Um there is a little bit of a myth that there is no real money going into relieving congestion, but 
that money is going towards intersections. It's going towards, you know, alleviating local cities and streets. You know, the, I mean, as far as congestion goes, um, you, you know, again, I, I, I think my area is a good example, but it's pretty typical. Uh, and these are not simple things at all. I mean, so because of uh, the nature, you know, kind of the built-out nature of our existing infrastructure and the cost of land, it's no longer an easy thing. In, in some cases, it's not even possible to expand capacity on roads. I mean, you, there are places where you simply cannot add another lane. And even if you could, that, that's not making uh, – that tends not to, be, to make a material difference over time as, as volume catches up to capacity. So we, we need to make smarter investments, which tend to be larger, uh, kind of more ambitious engineering projects uh, in order to reduce congestion. So that involves realigning uh, how roads uh, intersect or, or otherwise come together. Uh, and then and some more complicated things about, you know, you know classic kind of traffic engineering about uh, so, you know, how uh, the flow of traffic within systems is, is uh, calibrated and, and otherwise managed so that you don't have huge backups uh, or or choke points. Yeah, there's a there's some pretty interesting new intersection setups with advanced uh, left turn lanes, so that right moving moving the left lane over uh, in advance of the intersection, so that all all four directions can um, freely flow at once. And, right, uh, and and so I mean, so you know, every, everybody you know, unless you live in a really rural area, uh, is probably familiar with some you know, confluence of roads in their area where it's it becomes at different times really challenging uh, to get either, you know, to the left-hand side or from the left-hand side to a, to either an intersection or an exit. Uh, and those things can seem like, a, you know, sort of a pain individually, but collectively they create massive congestion problems. And the only, only way to solve those things is to re-engineer those parts of the system. And that re-engineering is, is not only very elaborate, but it's very expensive. Yeah, but... But in addition to that, it is extremely efficient, and um, it, it most of the engineering today not only increases efficiency but also increases uh, safety as well. You have Absolutely true, and, and so again, crashes and yeah, yeah and so you know, I, I have kind of a poster child intersection in my district, the 5760 confluence, as they call it. So you know, you're absolutely right. So not only is it a choke point for congestion, it's also uh, the, the metrics on accidents, uh, particularly uh, accidents that come with injuries, uh, is it directly correlates to that congestion. Well, so moving on, we have the uh, three more, or actually four more areas I wanted to point out was the, mm -hmm. the, the bike and pedestrian projects. Um, 100 million is to be going to that. Uh, this is something that uh, California is used to be the leader of um we're we're working back towards that position right um there's some other states that have really taken a hold of you know ada compliance and protected bike lanes and uh different parts of our state are picking that up uh, which is great and so you know a lot of the things we haven't done uh, that some other states have done is largely attributable simply to lack of funds uh, over exactly. the last Ten years, and and so you know, as you do all these things at once, uh, it's easy for people. I mean, especially cynics, to say, uh, to point out, like you know, all the problems we have, and you're creating more bike lanes, spending our money to create more bike lanes. Uh, th th these are not they're not going to solve uh, all of our problems, but but in parts of the state, uh, the the increase in access to bicycle lanes, especially for commuting, 
can have a meaningful impact on congestion. I mean, all you have to do is take a small percentage of drivers off the road, and you get much better throughput. So these are good investments. They're not, you know, they're not fluffy. They're, they, you know, they're not um, um, superfluous. Uh, they're sensible, and and it's it's important to keep them proportionate. Uh, but there are parts of the state uh, where you know those those changes are sorely needed, and and they'll have a big impact. Well, in just the last ten years, uh, bicycling to work has grown. I want to say at least thirty percent nationwide, and uh, in some parts like Oregon, it's grown you know up to hundred and ten percent. And not only that, but there's been this real diversification of transportation so you have people with you know electric scooters and right. um, all these new kind of inventions for commuting to work or commuting between lunch and this actually becomes kind of a blueprint for all those different ways of uh commute or to of, of transportation right and so you know it's funny the studies show that uh in you know in a relatively densely populated area most people aren't commuting all that far to work, but they don't really have options because in the absence of bike lanes uh, and other options, that people tend to use use their cars. Uh, and if But if you can take some of those cars off the road, that commuter that spends an hour in their car because they're traveling 30, 40 miles, it starts to get to work a lot faster, so we all benefit. Yeah, and, and the impact of, of a vehicle is... Uh, uh, immeasurably more than the impact of a of a bicycle or a skateboard or or whatever else yeah, i wish and, i could and, skateboard and, to work yeah and, it, it's, and it's true but it, it's about giving people options and and you you really don't have options unless uh, you have the infrastructure that that lends itself to it exactly uh the, the next part i was extremely excited to see on the sb1 budget is the transportation related research at state universities the seven million dollars for uh, identifying cost-effective materials and methods to mm-hmm. you know, improve the benefits of transportation. Um, to me, this is something that is, is a no-brainer, especially for California being the leaders in the autonomous car realm and uh, really we've been one of the leaders in the DOT realm as well. And so to continue, continue to push that forward, I think, is uh, really immeasurable and and really, if you're looking forward to, to new materials, if you're looking forward to new intersections, this money that we're investing, we can invest much more wisely. I, I you know, I couldn't agree more. And so this is your classic uh, R&D dilemma, where where if you cut close enough to the bone in a business or in our case in government, you you no longer have the resources to do the kind of research and development that can produce huge. Uh, innovations and so it's it's encouraging you know SB1 creates funds that are sufficient now to fund at a reasonable level this kind of research and you know there are a whole bunch of different ways that um, with some innovation we can we can make a, a big dent uh, in our transportation issues as you mentioned there's autonomous driving uh, but there's also research into new materials uh, and then there's you know a bunch of really critical research into to kind of um, how traffic moves and the kinds of changes you can make that that will increase efficiency and throughput through systems. Yeah, I know that UC Davis and um, UC Berkeley have been working on some of these issues very very closely, and uh, UC Davis especially has been really looking at some of these engineering problems and and kind of going about different ways of trying to solve them. Right, and so you know you have this kind of chicken egg problem. If if you if you don't do the research, you're not going to posit new solutions, but 
um, if you don't have the funds to build out infrastructure, you know, especially proof of concept or pilots, then we won't know what might work as as uh, you know new approaches. So th- these things are necessary. So as we make the kinds of investments that have become so necessary, if we can apply some new thinking. Um, you know, for instance, creative solutions that separate goods movement from passenger vehicles uh, in ways that take advantage of the the existing landscape. Um, you know, these will make a huge difference, not just now, but moving forward, because our economy is only going to continue to grow as our population continues to increase. Moving on to the uh, workforce training programs, uh, $5 million annually for training the workforce. Um Caltrans, you know, is is constantly looking for for um, new qualified project managers and and, mm-hmm. and equipment movers and uh, truckers. Actually, um, California, because of because of us being a, a tech capital, has actually really been having a hard time finding you know truck drivers and equipment operators. And so to be right. able to train people on the job is actually really one of the only ways that we're going to be able to get people on the job at this point. Right, absolutely. And so, so you know, the funds that are, that are allocated for workforce training for apprenticeship programs will make a big difference in that regard. Uh, and, and, you know, we still, for some reason, have this kind of stereotype in our minds of, of transportation uh, project management and, and building uh, as kind of a low-tech enterprise, and, and in fact, it's not uh, anymore. So, so the skills you need to build a well-engineered road uh, and the resources you need to do that are, are actually really considerable. And in a in a low-employment situation, we have to figure out smart ways to connect workers uh, to these opportunities. Absolutely. And the last the last item on the list is uh, the freeway service patrol. Um, I think here in California, at least up here in the uh, Sacramento area, we get a little bit spoiled with uh, how quickly abandoned cars get towed off of the freeway. Um, right. You, if you go visit other parts of the country, you'll see cars there for weeks at a time, and, and this actually creates a real hazard. And right. not only a hazard, but uh, it, it uh, substantially slows down the traffic. Uh, you know, so it's true. So, so again, you know, little things that in in uh, kind of austerity times could not really be invested in or augmented uh, are now covered by SB1. And so, you know, we need to be smart about how we administer these funds. Uh, but people do take it for granted. And and so, you, you know, you, you get a car on the left side, uh, it is not only dangerous, you know, while the driver's still in it, but it, it also, uh, even just its presence, even if it's not in the line of traffic, tends to reduce the flow of traffic. So, so these things are actually more important than I think people often realize. Well, so that, 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 that right now is currently the list of all the funding for SB1. Mm-hmm. Um, you were, you were I, I believe, the, the main catalyst in the Prop 69 coming up on the ballot. I actually just received my sample ballot um, for the, the June. Right. There, there is still some skepticism. Um, you know, California yeah, I think you're being, you're being diplomatic. So there is, there is, and so it's, there is some skepticism. There, there's also, uh, frankly, a cynicism uh, among those folks who object to taxes for whatever reason, uh, kind of making the argument that, A, SB1 wasn't necessary. I think we've covered most of that. Uh, but that, that, you know, that the money is not safe. Uh, and so it's true uh, that Measure 1B, the bond uh, measure, 
prior under the Schwarzenegger administration to fund transportation investment, some of that money was out was diverted, and, and, and you know for both good reasons and not so good reasons. But during the financial crisis, during the recession, um, and so you know the effort was made. Uh, in the crafting of SB1 itself to give people hopefully the assurance, and we've talked about some of these very explicit uh, programs within it, that the money will be well spent. But, you know, there's still uh, a certain level of apprehension. And there's also um, kind of oddly, from my point of view, there's a conflation that happens where people people make a connection uh, between SB1 and high-speed rail, you know, the bullet train. Uh, and the argument is made, well, you know, that money is going to be diverted to pay for the bullet train. And, and so Prop 69, uh, which is on the ballot in, in June, as you mentioned, uh, if if passed, will uh, deliberately and explicitly amend the California Constitution, specifically Article 19, which which identifies those entities that are eligible to receive uh, special transportation funding. And and so within that, you know, high-speed rail will not be one of those. But it, it, it should give voters the assurance that the monies that we raise will not be diverted uh, or spent in any other fashion than they've been promised. Well, so just to dig a little bit deeper into that, infrastructure really is kind of a large umbrella. Um, with the, the programs that we've highlighted, how much money can be um, diverted within the infrastructure umbrella away from those programs, or is that – are those programs locked in and um, additional money may be diverted to, say, water facility, treatment facilities, or um, other types of infrastructure? Well, you know, with, with respect to SB1, you know, I, I don't think, uh, you know, except in, in some really extraordinary instance, you know, during another financial crisis that, uh, for instance, water infrastructure would qualify. And so, so that's why, you know, within our Constitution, which is actually – a very long state constitution compared to others. Uh, we, you know, we make there's already an existing set of, of uh, eligibility requirements. What is, what Prop 69 would do would be to amend it to reflect the the new sources. Uh, and so, you know, none of this money uh, in any material way should should go anywhere other than to transportation infrastructure investment. Uh, and that's that's the assurance that Prop 69 will give people. Now, within that, uh, you know, the, the kind of the larger framework in which California government is administered, it's it's complicated, right? And it's and so, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's one thing sits next to the other. Uh, you know, it's easy for people not to understand how a dollar gets spent one way or another. But but it's important, I think, that there there should be a roadmap and a set of rules that 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 ensure that these funds, which voters uh, the legislature authorized through legislation, which voters hopefully will uh, sort of restrict through Prop 69, will only be spent in ways that are consistent with the intent. Well, so if if lawmakers were trying to divert the money, um, what would they? What loops would they have to jump through in order to do that? Well, you know, there, there's a whole range of, of. Well, there's there's you know so so. Um, lawmakers in in this case would would most likely be lawmaker or the, the executive branch, right? So it's it's mm -hmm. you know most transportation money is spent sort of under the governor's purview, and and there's a very kind of complicated set of commissions and processes that that manage transportation projects. Uh, no single legislator uh, is going to be able to do that. The, the concern is as as the governor or the executive branch administers the state's finances, uh, is that you know money will get spent on one thing versus another in ways that aren't consistent with the original intent. And, you know, th this governor's actually done quite a good job. Prop 69, I think, gives that additional assurance in you know, future administrations. 
So one of the, the questions that was brought up too was, you're saying it was an amendment to reflect the the, the current uh, funding. Is that why Prop 69 wasn't included in the original SB1 bill? That, that's correct, right? So so what SB1 did was SB1 created the funding streams. Prop 69 amended the Constitution to reflect the entities which are mm -hmm. eligible to receive those funding streams. So, so the, the you, you you can't amend the Constitution through legislation. Uh, we can pass a piece of legislation. So, Prop 69 started as uh, SCA two, Senate Constitutional Amendment two, and then it became Assembly Constitutional Amendment five. Uh, and having passed the legislature, it then uh, allows for you know putting it before the voters because only the voters can amend the Constitution. Um, we do have the authority in the legislature to raise taxes, right, to create new revenue streams. Uh, but in order to, to render that explicit within the Constitution, you had to have a proposition. Well, and this won't, this won't cure the roads entirely, but this will be a huge, huge step forward in really rehabilitating our, our infrastructure. And when you're, when you're maintaining roads instead of trying to rebuild roads, it actually becomes a lot, a lot less expensive um, and will save you save you a lot of money in the long term. Um, one of the interesting facts on the SB one bill is is that you know the average Californian is already spending uh, seven hundred and sixty dollars a year on repairs for road caused damage. Mm -hmm. And it, when you're looking at this um, gas tax, the average Californian is only going to be spending around one hundred and eighty two dollars. Um, Obviously, that won't be cured instantly, but uh, in the long run, you know, you're really looking at a much more uh, substantiated, um, low cost in comparison to the the high damage of hitting potholes and and hitting uh, or going through really, uh, you know, watered out, rutted out roads. Right. Um, right. So, so I mean, that is true, but it's it's kind of. Just abstract enough, Ben, that I'm not sure the average person really appreciates, you know, that sort of subtle cost. What is more, uh, I, I think, direct for the average driver is the extent to which making better investments in in our transportation systems will reduce congestion. Uh, and who among us wouldn't want a, an hour of their life back, um, <laughs> you know, on your daily commute? So, so this over time, I think, is where we can we can deliver. The most obvious value to taxpayers is, is if, if if we can see over time that our, our roads move more smoothly, uh, that they're less apt to be closed for repairs or, or worse, uh, I think people will start to appreciate the, the need for the investment and the benefits it creates. Well, that's one of the reasons why, too, I really appreciate the four different um, designated uh, funding tunnels that are they're really aimed at those local communities really aimed at the hearts of the local communities and, and improving those those towns and cities right and so it's you know and so it's important to point out so not only did the state overall have a huge deficit that was allowed to kind of accumulate over 20 years but at the county level and especially the municipal level uh county government and municipal government simply don't have the resources uh kind of within their their taxation uh, opportunities to to raise enough funds to make the kinds of improvements. So the average person, when thinking about potholes, you you might think about something you saw on the highway, but you certainly think about the quality of your roads in your town. Uh, and SB1 creates a new source of revenue 
for municipalities, for cities and towns, to make really desperately improvements to their to their streets. Well, and, and not only that too, but the, this is always a win-win. Um, it's one of the great parts about being in the transportation industry is you're you're looking at safer roads, you're looking at saving lives, you're looking at uh, smoother communicate uh, commute times, you're looking at uh, uh, building you know employing people and, and building jobs and you know there's uh there's very little downside it's the it's the the fight against any taxation that that, that, that we're really just looking at at this point no and it's it's so true and, and and what's you know people tend to forget is and there are two things i think are really important for people to, to be aware of one is you know there's an objection why you know why was it a why is it, is it the gas tax or the gas and diesel tax why was it a special tax a direct tax like this because people people feel it I mean when you know when you go to the gas pump that you can see as the wheels spin around you can see money leaving your wallet right and so in most taxes we don't we don't have that same experience but they're special taxes because it, you cannot raise this kind of money through the general fund under California's existing taxation framework. And one, one principal reason for that is uh, because of Prop 98, which funds education. Prop 98 says that of every dollar uh, spent or raised by the general fund in California, 40% has to go to education, right? So if you needed to raise another dollar just for transportation, you'd basically have to you know, raise another dollar fifty in taxes. So that's not an efficient way to do it. Uh, and then the other important thing to remember is, is that the the purchasing power of the existing uh, gas and diesel taxes had not been adjusted to account for you know inflation uh, and other changes for well over 20 years. I mean, uh, you know, it's ironic since uh, the Duke Magee administration and Governor Duke Magee actually passed away yesterday. But that's the last time that we had adjusted our our gasoline tax in California, and and it's simply not raising enough money to to uh, support the kinds of, of investments that are needed. Yeah, that was that was way back in uh, 1994. Yeah. Well, so uh, where can people go? Um, we'll post some links on the Reroute Safety website, but where can people go to help support the SB1 bill? So, you know, so the SB1 bill, um, let me see if I can phrase this properly. So I, I think the best thing we can do in the short term is, is people can vote yes on Prop 69. Uh, which is just a common sense way to ensure that that people have that assurance that when they they you know when we take their tax money that it gets spent in ways that benefit everybody. Uh, as far as SB1 goes, uh, there I think there's a site on the Caltrans site. I think you can just search uh, Caltrans or SB1. Uh, but we are looking, you know, toward next November, uh, toward an attempt to repeal SB1. And, and you know, this is. Um, you know, some people may have very principled stands against taxation. Uh, others have made an argument that there's got to be a better way to do this. Uh, but the real truth is the the push against SB1 is purely political. Uh, it's it's an attempt by conservative interests to to instigate uh, you know greater participation at the polls uh, by conservative voters in November. Uh, and it would be really unfortunate. Uh, if that had the net effect of repealing SB1, uh, not just because the money's needed, but if it's, if this were to happen, very unlikely we'll be able to replace those those funding sources, uh, and we'll be right back where we started for another 10, 15 years, which would be truly unfortunate given California's needs. Yeah, I believe it's uh, down in your neck of the woods, um, so I'm not so familiar with the story, but uh, 
I know that uh, I believe is Alan Tra Travis, Congressman Alan Travis. Travis Allen, yes. Travis Allen, that was it. That uh, was actually using the uh, repealed gas tax as kind of a slush fund for raising awareness. For yeah, housing. you know, so so there's 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 that, but but it's also true that that you know I, I'm not a, I'm not the most partisan person, so I don't, I don't want to make this a Republican versus Democrat thing. No, no. But I'm, but I'm, it I'm, is I'm, true. It is true that 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 Republicans looking toward the general election in November are trying to figure out ways to to uh, you know kind of engage what they regard as their core voters, and and they think the easy way to do that is to have an anti-tax uh, measure in California, and and that in this case uh, would work against everybody's interests. Yeah, and no, I'm a I'm a red-blooded Republican myself, and. Uh... I believe in transportation and military, and um, you know, upholding the the law and order. And there's certain things that, uh, as a Republican, you still need to be standing by. Right, and and, and so what what is more basic, you know, to to kind of the function of government than investing in our roads, right? You, you, you know, there, there's virtually, you know, our whole economy is built on top of it. And, and again, I mean, one of the ironies of this whole thing is this has become kind of Republican. Uh, sort of, you know, fighting issue, but the but the last two governors to raise the gas tax and and in ways that were, you know, virtually the same and actually proportioned to what we've done recently were Republicans. So that was that was George Ugmachian most recently, but before him, Ronald Reagan. Mm -hmm. Exactly, and <laughs> I don't want to get too political, but I can't help uh, but see the irony in in how opposed you are in, in your district. And how unopposed uh, Prop 69, which you were. Well, this is. I, I'm glad you brought that up. So, so to, to your <laughs> listeners, I, not everybody may know this, but but I am personally the target of this very intense recall effort in the June uh, on the June ballot, and and so which is when you think about it, uh, it doesn't make a ton of sense except uh, except around the politics of it. Uh, I am one of 81 legislators who voted for the same piece of legislation. And I am one of two, which I was originally the, the one, and, and then I was joined by Assemblyman Jim Frazier, uh, in passing the legislation that led to the proposition that will safeguard the money in the tax uh, that uh, I'm being targeted for voting on. And, and so there's this argument kind of uh, around the recall, and it, it, it's important to point out, it didn't start in my district. It started among uh, you know, sort of anti-taxers looking for leverage and as, as a way to make a point. And and uh, the argument is that I was somehow the, the deciding vote or the guy who raised everybody's taxes. When in fact that's not true. Uh, to get to the required 27 votes in the Senate, uh, it took a Republican uh, senator voting to get us to 27. But that, that nobody seems to remember that. <laughs> yeah, uh, looking at the uh, the sample ballot, I, it, it made me laugh just seeing um, all those in favor of Prop 69, all those uh, not in favor was. Nil. Right. Well, even even the same people who are working so hard at raising money to, to kick me out, uh, and 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 you know, not because I'm not a good senator, but because I, I was perceived to be vulnerable because I was uh, a a moderate Democrat who got elected to a seat that had been held by Republicans for four years in a very close election. Those same people are supporting you know my my proposition. So it, it, there's kind of a uh, an illogic to it, but you know, within their politics, it, I guess it was kind of irresistible. Yeah. <laughs> Republicans have a hard time here in California, so <laughs> it's all right. And so, so my my argument to my Republican friends is 
maybe that's why. Maybe it's it's kind of dirty tricks like this, uh, and all the all the money and the time you put into them. That's that's you know sort of affecting your image, your brand. Uh, maybe you folks should work more deliberately at actually solving problems. And, and the truth is, you know, no no legislation is perfect. And so I, I believe, I mean, I really believe that SB1 would be better, uh, and, and our transportation policy and taxation policy would, would be better if Republicans and Democrats could work together, right? And you, that can be, you know, adversarial, uh, you know, but it, it would wind, we'd wind up with more rigor in the process and we'd get better legislation. But simply to be the party of no and then to take these things and try and use them as kind of political gimmicks is really unfortunate because the problems don't go away. And, and a bridge that's about to wash out doesn't care uh, if it's being driven over by a Republican or a Democrat. Yeah, exactly. It seems like the, the bipartisan issues, the issues that we should be getting along with actually kind of end up becoming the most politicized issues and the most uh, fought, fought over issues because both parties kind of wanted to get it done, but then both parties have to kind of um, posture in different ways to, to appease their, their voting base. Right, and so I, you know, as, as a as a you know centrist Democrat, I would never argue that that Demo- that that, that uh, you know government is perfect, or that SB one even is perfect. But that argument that that uh, you know the the other side kind of sinks into that that government is corrupt and that all your taxes are being wasted and that you can't trust anybody, uh, that winds up being really corrosive over time. And so even if there's a short term opportunity, it makes it that much harder for state government California to to deliberately work at solving the very real problems that we need to, to face. Well, so uh, to finish off, where can people find you? And if they're down the, your, your area, where can people go to, to support you? So easy to find me. You can use Google, you know, put in Senator Newman, and, and mostly you'll get, you'll get some, some combination of my, my, web, my government website, uh, the No on the Recall campaign, and I guess if you, if you dig deep, you'll find a lot of uh, misinformation and untruths about uh, how I'm the evil guy who's ruining California. Uh, and I'm not that. I'm just an idealistic guy who who wanted to serve. Uh, and so uh, happy to uh, have this conversation, even this argument with anybody, because I, I think Californians deserve better. And, and most of the problems that we should endeavor to solve at the state level aren't really partisan in nature. Well, Senator, I really appreciate your time. Uh, thank you for your service. And uh, thank you for getting back into the government and uh, working on, on trying to improve California. And Ben, th- thank you for this podcast. I, I think it's helpful. Uh, the more people know about their government, the better uh, suited they will be to participate fully in having these these conversations. So, so thanks for having me. All right, thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Reroute Safety Podcast. Uh, please share this with your friends, family, coworkers, anybody remotely interested in the road safety industry. Keep listening, keep joining in, and uh, we'll see you next time.